Today in episode 20 of Teaching in Higher Ed, Dave Stahoviak joins me for our first Q&A show. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. For this, the 20th episode of Teaching in Higher Ed, we are doing an all Q&A show, and I'd like to welcome back to the show, Dave Stahoviak. Hello, I'm glad to be back. If this is your first time listening or you haven't listened in a while, Dave is married to me, but that's not the only reason he's on the show today. He has a lot of expertise in teaching in general and specifically teaching in higher ed. I'm glad to be back, and uh, I'm so excited for the 20th episode Hooray! Hooray! It's been great. I've loved the people who have just been so gracious to spend their time with the community and share. And I wanted to just make a quick note. Our guest from the 19th episode, Dr. James Lang, was so inspiring to me. And I actually got to carry him with me this week as I addressed some issues of plagiarism that had come up in some classes. And one of the things I talked about on that episode was that I do a quiz in the beginning of all of my classes where I talk to the students about asking them questions about what their goals are in the class and what they're looking for as far as me supporting them and their learning and what some of their fears are. And toward the end of the quiz, we have the academic integrity piece where they have to identify what plagiarism is, how many words, how do you cite a source. And so what was great about just reflecting back on the conversation with Jim is that I went back and looked at the students who had plagiarism issue on their papers back at those earlier quizzes. And Dave, you might remember that I do that quiz so that they can't sit at my little office table and say, I didn't know. I I don't know what plagiarism is, so therefore there's no accountability. That's really smart, by the way. I I don't know a lot of people that do that, so that's a a good expectation setting. Yeah, in, in all of the cases of conversations that I had this week about it, though, I went back to that quiz, and they hadn't been able to demonstrate that kind of academic writing. They did not demonstrate the ability to cite a source. They didn't demonstrate the ability to paraphrase in all of the cases. And so he was kind of floating around in my week with me as I thought back to this really was a great opportunity to help educate students who I truly believe having conversations with them just haven't had access to that kind of education where you learn about academic writing. So this, this forgive me for asking this, um, this may be helpful to others though. So how did it work that they, you didn't catch that initially? Do they just like get a grade on the quiz or is it like a pass fail or how does that work? Yeah, they got the grade. So that's where I realized there's a flaw in my system. So I have this system that's supposed to identify things like that. Mm-hmm. But because I have such large classes, large classes this semester and pretty much every semester, I graded 95 of these all right in a row. The system is set up that you can do manual grading on each of those essay type questions that had the paraphrasing exercises in them. So I hadn't caught it then. Yes, they got a lower score, 
but they didn't even go back. They had said to go back and look and really take seriously how do I get better at that because it was just such a small, inconsequential score to them. They were just focused on moving forward. So I need to, in the future, I think if I really want to take it the next step, is have there be some kind of a trigger for people who need additional coaching and academic writing. Mm, interesting. Got it. Makes sense. Well, I just thank Dr. James Lang so much for coming on the show and so many of the other guests. I'm excited for the episodes to come. I've already got some great guests booked in the future and I'm just thrilled. But this time, Dave, we're going to answer a few questions that came in about teaching in higher ed and starting off with this one from Gilbert. Hello, this is Gilbert Fugit, and I did have a question about uh, teaching in higher ed. One of the struggles I have with the online teaching is how to best engage the learners uh, in discussion boards. So um, they make posts, but I know there there has to be a way to further engage them, and I would love to uh, hear more about some tips on how to engage learners within a discussion board type format. Uh, We use the Blackboard format right now. All right. Again, Gilbert Fugit at Concordia University. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Gilbert, thanks so much for your question. I am going to take a slightly different tact and not answer your question, or at least encourage you to consider maybe other options besides doing forums. That's something that I have done fairly recently is really steer away from doing as many forums. I think especially programs that are pretty integrated with online, whether they're blended learning or fully online courses, unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of our learners have started to see forums as a very transactional form of learning. So in fact, we see this a lot with rubrics for participation in online classes that you go and you write a post and then you respond to three other students posts. And there's some sometimes some word count restrictions and things like don't just say great job or good point actually have something substantive to say. And I think that I can I can get behind the desire to quantify it in some way, so that our grading doesn't end up being entirely subjective on these things. But that really does get to a very transactional way of seeing these discussions. So what if I have a lot to say about one person's post and really found it to be particularly insightful to me, but I don't have things to say about two other posts. So that's, that's, I have actually changed how I do things and things that would have been on forums. I started having my students do blogging. And today it is so easy to get students and ourselves into the world of blogging. I have them use a service called wordpress.com. WordPress.com is a free blogging platform, and they can go up there and create their own blog, and they can subscribe to each other's blogs and be able to comment and engage that way. And one of the real benefits I've seen from, actually, I've seen a number of benefits, the quality of posts tends to be a lot higher when we have put ourselves out there publicly. And speaking of doing it publicly, most of the students, I encourage them to use their names and to consider it as their professional platform, building their personal brand online. And we talk about that. I show them my blog. I talk about how I'm trying to approach my personal brand there. And so most of them do, but it's not a requirement. There are certainly some ethical reasons and some issues why people would not want to have their names online. So it's not required. They can do an anonymous 
username and just let me and if they're comfortable the other students know who they are on wordpress.com so we've i've seen the quality go up considerably and what is tremendous is the engagement has also gone up too now i will say the engagement is shorter so the the reply posts to each other might not be as lengthy but a lot of times I see them reply to each other and then actually link to a blog or a resource. A, a recent example of that was someone saying, hey, here's an infographic that was created using this system. You might want to try that out. And so it was it was more than just, oh, that was, as a leader, I find that I like to do this. And just not having that external focus and bringing ourselves to more rich resources that are available. So I'm going to pitch that we do away with forums unless what we really need is that inside only talking to each other kind of dialogue if there was a sensitive topic or something that really, really warranted it. I, I really like that thinking, and I, I loved the, um, I forget where it came up on a recent episode, but the university that is doing, having, um, supporting students to create their own platform, their own domain, and using that as a as a learning place and a sharing place for over their four years of their undergrad. Yeah, the program's called A Domain of One's Own, and that was uh, talked about was cool. in the episode with Audrey Waters. I'll link to it in this episode, too, so people can go check it out again. And I think something like that really, that resonates with me as far as you know, like what you do with have your students blogging and getting on a domain. And that, that to me, is much more you know, 2014, 2015 versus the discussion board forum, which is, you know, seems a little more antiquated mm-hmm. today. Um, that said, I, I, I think there's, there's a spectrum here of like, you know, that's kind of the idea we'd like to, to go there and, and to think in new ways. Um, I also think there's a reality for a lot of programs and faculty, and particularly if you, maybe you're just teaching a class in a program that, you know, there's already a structure there for discussion board forums. And, and I think that it's not easy for everybody just to say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. So, and I'm teaching in a program that's a little bit sort of like that. I guess I could do a little bit something different. Um, but I think one of the things, if you are going to use discussion board forums and I'm teaching an, I'm teaching an online class on online learning right now. So if that doesn't confuse you, I don't <laughs> How know what, Shakespearean what, yes, of you. that is very, um, but one of the things we talked about at the front end of the class is exactly what you just talked about is, you know, we, it's a hybrid class technically. So we had an in-person session and we talked about discussion board forums and I said, what is it you've all taken? They had all taken online classes before. What is it you like? What is it you don't like? And this came up right away is, you know, I, as students, we really dislike having to post something on the board and then having to add in by, you know, a comment on everyone else's posting. And they're like, you know, we're just filling space. We're not really listening to each other. We're just doing it to pass the standard or whatever. And so I really try to be intentional about, and I am running a discussion board forum with this class right now, but I really try to be intentional about here's what I want you to do each week. I make it different. There's different mediums. There's different questions. Sometimes it's watch a video. Sometimes I've recorded an audio. So I'm really using varying aspects of that. I also ask them and encourage them to respond in different ways. So they can respond in writing, but they can also respond by video. They can respond by audio. So there's different ways that they can engage. And then the other thing is I've done away with this whole like, okay, you have to go respond to six other people or whatever requirement. So they have to do their posting and then my 
my direction to them is I want you to engage in some meaningful way with someone else in some other conversation during the week. And so that way it's much more of a quality versus a quantity requirement. I know that your students are not terribly technical. So to suggest to some students that they could respond via video or via audio, are there specific ways that you suggest that they might give that a try tools that they might use? You know, I'm, I'm always amazed at how much people will push themselves when you encourage, but don't require it. Mm. So I don't require that. I always tell people, if you just want to write, if you just want to do a traditional way, great. But here's a way you could do it. I do the same thing when they're doing their online learning projects. I tell them, you know, you could do the basic stuff or you can download some of the e-learning software and, and challenge yourself if you want to learn it for your own professional development. And the vast majority of them go and do something way beyond what they need to do for the assignment. Now, granted, this is at the master's level. It's a different kind of student than you're working with most of the time. But um, Is but there I, actually a particular software or, or a web app that you suggest they use? I give them a number of suggestions okay. and say, here's, here's the playing field. You decide where you want to go with it based on what's relevant in your career and your organization and the skills you need to learn that's going to help you out, help you be most practical in the workforce. So that's how I approach it. But the one thing that's key with the discussion board is to show up. Um, the biggest complaint I hear from students is I've taken other online classes. The faculty member puts up a PowerPoint or whatever, and there's a discussion board, and it seems like they're never there. I don't, I, you know, I get a grade maybe a week or two later. I don't have the, see hear them adding to the conversation. I don't see postings from them online. So I always have like an audio post each week that I put out. I'm on there almost daily. So when they post something, it comes right in my email box. I respond within 24 hours. So I'm a regular part of the conversation and dialogue with them. It's not just them putting up information onto a cloud somewhere and not hearing from anyone. So engagement and regular dialogue is key. And it kind of comes back to what we were talking about with cheating is having that regular dialogue, talking with people, engaging with them. And that's just as true in person as it is online. And I know that you and I are very on the technical end of things, but if our listeners are less technical and they would like to post an audio for their students or or a video, I know for myself, if any of you have an iPhone and if you have a Google account, that would be a Gmail account, for example, you can create a video right on your phone and send it to your YouTube channel. And when you send things to YouTube channels, they don't all have to show up for the entire world to see them. You can have videos that are set up as unlisted, so they're not going to show up in people's search results. They're not going to show up on your channel for the world to see, but it's open that if someone has the link directly to that video, it'll play without any kind of password or restrictions like that. And that would be the way I would suggest that is a careful balance between privacy, but still accessibility. And YouTube is a really open platform. In fact, if you want to cut out the the iPhone as an option, YouTube actually has a recorder right on it. So if you went to yep. youtube.com, they have it's something like creation or some, something with the word create in it. And you can actually record yourself if you've got a webcam right there from their channel. It's just becoming easier and easier. And of course, when you do that, you do want to be aware of what's in your background. That's something that is kind of a novice mistake that I see quite happen quite a bit, actually, is we want to be thinking also about lighting. And we don't want to have the light coming from behind us and kind of look like this eerie, eerie space. We want to get some good lighting. If you're in a place where you can get some natural light, that's a really good way to get yourself um, well lit. And, and appearing friendly and engaging. But but audio just alone is huge too. I 
I constantly hear from students. I always do audio welcomes for my classes, even the in-person ones. I'll send out an audio welcome a week before the class meets in person. And people love that. And I think you you do owe it to yourself as a faculty member and to your students that if you do anything online these days, um, you know, invest in a decent microphone. You don't have to go out and but you know, get, you know, spend twenty or thirty bucks on a decent microphone, learn just a basic audio program on recording your voice. And it's really simple to do, and it makes a huge difference in how people feel connected to you because it's not just an email or a forum post somewhere. And on a Mac or on a PC, there there is a really basic recording built in, or you can do something like QuickTime where you can record your voice that way too, and it really can make such a difference when they can hear your voice. Tons of options out there. Our next question is, and this one is one we're just going to give a couple of tips on because we could do a, a whole series on this topic, but a couple of tips on the question, how do we take an in-person class and put it online? The first thing that I do when I'm taking an online or an in-person class and putting it online is go back and look at the learning outcomes again. And I'm assessing when I look at the learning outcomes, first of all, are these the right learning outcomes, whether we do it in person or whether we do it online? And are there any of them that would make it problematic to have in an online forum? I would give an example of something like there in this psychology field. If you were teaching a counseling, a therapy class, that would be something that we could teach the terms online, but the actual practice of engaging in therapy is not something that we're going to be able to deliver online. So we would be able to see that disconnect as we looked at those learning outcomes and then identified what those might look like if we were trying to engage in them in an online format. Dave, you teach in a nursing program sometimes, and that would be another example if we're actually performing a putting an IV in, again, I can, I can watch a video of someone doing that online, but for me actually to learn that skill, I need to be in an in-person and, or in a, at least in a lab format. Yeah. And just for clarity, I'm not a nurse and I don't teach clinical skills. It's <laughs> leadership and education that I'm teaching. So if anyone's looking for medical help, <laughs> so please do don't not ask, email. Don't ask Dave to put in your next IV. Although I do know how to give shots, uh, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the, for me, when I think about this question and when we've been asked both from a higher edge standpoint, but also consulting standpoint to design training or classes for people that's going to be a hybrid type experience. I mean, one of the first questions that I think about is what lends itself to online as far as content of the course and what are things that really do need to be in person to do? And particularly for a hybrid or blended class, that's something I spend time thinking of. So for things like, you know, lecture, if there's videos, if there's um, things that tend to be me more sharing information with the students, those are things that a lot of times easily translate to online because we can record the video of a lecture. We can record the audio of that. Um, we could put together an e-learning course or module for that. Um, but things like exercises, discussion, those are the kinds of things, you know, role play practice, um, gaming, whatever, you know, types of things we're doing to be interactive with the students. Those are things obviously that um, there's some of that that can be done online. But if you have the option to then do that during the in-person meetings or sessions, that's that's probably ideal to have those types of things be there. Um, I, I guess if I could break it down, the you know if it's information, that's great online. If it's if it's actually skill development and practice and feedback and coaching, then that's something to try to do in person. Well, unless your the skill being built is our writing skills, 
or critical thinking skills. I mean, there are certainly skills that can be built, but if the skill is something I would have to see you do in person, then we're going to have to probably build those skills in person too. Exactly. I go through next the assessments and determine what, if any, will need to be modified. Can I truly, first of all, again, revisiting are these the right assessments that map to demonstrating the achievement of those learning outcomes? A lot of times they aren't. We identify problems with in-person classes when we take an in-person class and put it online, we start to see, gosh, there's actually some challenges with the in-class format that maybe didn't get as much attention before until it got identified as something we're looking at putting in a blended format or in a fully online. So I go and look at those assessments. And then there's a couple of other things I would recommend in this process. I really strongly recommend that you think about building a class, the content piece of it, as we used to, we used to call these chunks in, in chunks of learning. That's actually, I kid you not, that is what we used to call it early, early in the days of online learning. And today, some authoring systems and some nomenclature calls these assets. So I have these different assets. It might be a two-minute video about something, a five-minute audio file about something else, a interactive exercise where they go through and identify something. So, so there, there are all these different assets that are going to be parts and pieces that get put together for my class, but that I think of as existing independent from the learning management system. The question we got earlier from Gilbert, he mentioned he uses Blackboard. Many institutions today are, are considering different learning management systems. You don't want to be so locked in when you think about your course design that it would really trip you up if you went to a different learning management system or a different platform. I have found it so helpful to just think about these assets for my courses or these, this, all of these different content as chunked into different pieces. And then when we start talking about, oh, is it fully in person or is it blended or is it online? Those assets can actually move across those different delivery mechanisms so much more seamlessly than if I've thought about the creation of the course as the platform it's going to exist on. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, th I think, too, we've sort of already said this, but definitely not the answer when moving something online is to just take everything and post the files up online and turn on the discussion forum and say, go. Uh, it, it really does require us to think through what makes sense, um, what are the assets in whatever order to, to do that. And, and you do approach it differently online than you do in person because of that. And then the last piece is just to think about existing content that is already out there and has been made available for use in classes. And we don't always have to recreate the wheel. We can go and find these different knowledge assets, these resources that are out there. If it's a TED talk, if it's a YouTube video, all of these different resources that are available that are actually far better than anything we might be able to come up with on our own. And then we can take that extra time to fill in our unique perspective on a topic or a class. The last question, Dave, is what do you recommend for online learning authoring systems. And this question actually came up because I was talking about a new announcement from Microsoft. They came out with a new free product that's still in beta called Office Mix. And Office Mix looks very promising. So you, it allows you to, inside of PowerPoint, record your voice over a PowerPoint. 
and actually record yourself drawing on top of that PowerPoint. And you can identify what you're talking about, draw arrows, circles, I mean, what, anything that you could draw. You can insert videos into it. You can insert quizzes. And it looks very promising. So I got the question, so is that what you would recommend because it is free, because it's Microsoft and Microsoft being as ubiquitous as it is, and especially with PowerPoint. And I actually said that, no, that wasn't something that you and I were going to be pursuing too quickly because it's not quite there yet, at least in my initial evaluations, based on how well it snaps into other learning management systems. Mm -hmm. So in the e-learning world, there are different ways in which those courses get packaged and published that allow them to talk to learning management systems. So the one that's the most well-known is called SCORM, a SCORM compliant course that's shareable content object resource. Something starting with letter M. <laughs> management. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. There's no SCORM. So SCORM compliant courses allow you to track the quizzes, for example, in the learning management system back to that student's name. So if you want the trackability that a learning management system allows, the office mix just doesn't look like it's quite there yet, although it certainly will be a fun tool to experiment with and look and see where it goes. And if they do add in the more sophisticated features like the SCORM compliant. For right now, Dave and I are using almost exclusively, if, if we need to build an e-learning module, we're using Adobe's Captivate. We also are big fans of Articulate Global's e-learning systems. They have an e-learning suite and they have a product called Storyline. But why we have tended more toward Adobe's products for right now is that they are multi-platform. And Dave and I are more and more <laughs> just leaning on our Macs and, and trying to move away from PCs for, for the most part, unless it's just a, a real requirement for one of our clients. And so th the nice thing about Adobe Captivate is that multi-platform. So I can open it up on a PC if I need to. I can open it up on a Mac and you pretty much can't tell. And they also have some pretty good subscription options too. So you only have to pay for the software when you're actually going to be using it. And for some people, they don't like that because they want to just buy the software and keep it for four or five years. But we tend to upgrade more often than that and find their subscription options interesting. Dave, do you want to talk a little bit about Adobe Captivate and what it's been like for you working with it? Well, you've actually used it more than I have. Um, I'm, I'm still getting into it. And I do think Captivate's a great option. Uh, Captivate is the Cadillac <clears throat> of the e-learning authoring tools that are out there right now. Um, the disadvantage with Captivate is it is not the easiest learning curve. So if you're looking for something that's fairly straightforward to get up to speed on putting together some modules, um, and this is the first time you're doing it, I don't know if I would start with Captivate. I think Captivate's a great place to get to. Um, Storyline is really attractive if you are on a PC and are comfortable with Windows. Um, Storyline and also Articulate's other product articulate studio which includes presenter and a couple of the other packages is is very attractive and they have a i think it's a 30-day free trial you can use for them and just try it out and see how it works um, those are those are great tools as well another option is and by the way this the articulate people are just amazing as far as online support and technical support and all that it's a great company I, I wish they supported mac but they don't unfortunately um, camtasia is another option uh, that is kind of a mid-range solution uh, and offers a lot of opportunities. I don't know if they do as much with quizzes, at least not on the Mac platform, 
but uh, certainly an option that's out there. Um, and then, you know, you can also do something very straightforward. Uh, I know on the Mac, for example, there's a product called ScreenFlow, which just is a screen capturing program. So you can, you could, you could record or do a screencast or, or talk through something that you have on the screen and capture it and export it as a video and upload that to one of the video sharing services. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I think the key is, is to find the product that's most comfortable for you um, and, and figure out what platform you want to use and what, what, what you want to invest your time and resources into learning. I don't think it probably makes sense for most people to learn all of those like you and I have. I think it, it, it makes sense to get comfortable with one, figure out which platform you're on, Mac or PC, and then um, and you know all of those support most of the learning management systems. So you're pretty good regardless of what your school or institution supports as far as learning management options. And of course, it depends on too what your institution has made available for purchase, because if they're going to invest in it, that's always a great thing for you to be able to jump on to those licenses and have access to some of these tools. And then of course, they oftentimes come with their own support on your campus to help you as you get going. And, and I would dare say, probably most larger institutions have already adopted one of those platforms and may even have a mandate to say, okay, we are all using Storyline or we are all, we're all using Captivate. And so, and then you're, like you said, they've got the internal support to help you out on that. So if you don't know what your institution's up to on that, I bet you they're up to something. <laughs> so check in with them and, and talk to people and you may find that there's a lot of resources available and may even be software already available for faculty around that. This is the time in the show when we each give a recommendation and it can be a recommendation on something related to the show or it can be just something that's come up. Dave, what is your recommendation for the show? Okay, this is in the category of not necessarily teaching in higher ed related, but helpful because I know you're big on work-life balance and and uh, and thinking about managing stress for faculty well too. So I use an app on my iPhone and I know they have it for Android and it's also on the web called Lyft and the web address is lyft.do, which is appropriate, L-I-F-T dot D-O. What it is, is it's a, it's a service that tracks daily habits. So for example, um, I have seven daily habits on my Lyft list every day. One of them is uh, to read a book for 30 minutes. Another one is to walk 10,000 or 12,000 steps a day. And so at the end of the day, I go in my app and I track what habits I did that day, or sometimes I'll track them as I do them throughout the day. And they're all really straightforward things. They're just little things that I know that if I do each day, or at least most of them most days, will help me to stay healthy, will help me to stay balanced, will help me to be the best I can be in my professional work, and so I found that they're really helpful. And it's also good for me just to see when I'm also not having a good week because it has little graphs and all that and can track. And one of the things is sleep for seven hours a night. So I can say, okay, you know, I haven't slept as well as I should have over the last week or two. So I've really found that it's a great little, especially people that are goal-oriented like, like me, it's a great little app just to visually remind you of things. And it, you can have it even remind you at certain points of the day, like, okay, you know, six o'clock, have you read your book yet? And... Uh, it's really it's really good for that. So I'd highly recommend it. Lift.do is the web address and uh, check it out. My recommendation is a new app that brings analog into the digital world. And that is called Post-It Plus. And with Post-It Plus, you can have a bunch of sticky notes out on your desk or up on a wall and take a picture of the sticky notes with the app. 
And what the app does is then treat each of the sticky notes as a separate object, a separate, separate graphical object. And it allows you then to group them together into different categories that you then name. And then you can share it in all of the most common sharing methods available. It was one of those things I think listeners might remember. I don't like to try to try too many new ed tech tools during the semester because I can kind of get really carried away with that and it can mess me up on my productivity. This one, I made an exception where it just sounded so cool and I'd be able to incorporate into a number of exercises that I do. I thought, well, how hard could it be? And it literally was as easy as downloading the app, opening it up taking a picture of a sticky note and then dragging them around. It was it was a really easy to use app. And I think if we're trying to get our students more involved in the classroom, I've written a post, which I'll link to in the show notes about teaching with sticky notes. I think it's going to take that to a whole new level and I'm excited to put it to use. And I'll also post a link to the app on the show notes as well. Sounds exciting. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, it's a good one. It's an easy one, easy one to use. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining me and thanks to everyone for listening. This was the 20th episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. If you are listening to the show and are, are enjoying it and would like to help other people discover it, one of the things that iTunes and Stitcher Radio do is they rely a lot on ratings and reviews. So if you could go up there and give us a rating or review, it'd really help other people discover the show. We welcome your feedback to the show too. That's at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. You might have an idea for a topic you'd like to see us discuss or perhaps even a guest that you'd like to see come on the show would welcome those suggestions. And last but not least, if you have not subscribed to the weekly update, all of the show notes, all the things we talked about, the links could be coming in to your inbox. It's as simple to subscribe as going to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. 